When I think about today's conversation and today's guest, I think about the interplay between two ideas. Muscle memory, in other words, just instantly reacting because it feels right and you're trusting your instincts, and intentionality. What is your intent for the work? What is your intent for the project? Where is all this going on sort of a macro time scale? And then in the minutiae, are you being proactive and conscious about the choices you're making? I think it's really tempting when you talk about any kind of creative craft to try and distill it into some neatly little packaged thing where I can say to you, here, I made this for you. I put a little bow on the top of it all. And it's, it's this simple, right? It's just do this in these steps and you'll be done. Today's guest teaches the craft of podcasting. She teaches it to students who take her online education. She teaches it to her clients who hire her to make some of the world's most ambitious and important shows. And she also, of course, works with her team directly. And my goodness, what a wonderful team leader she is and team builder. And although there's not one specific neat little thing I can give you right here in the intro to prompt you to want to keep listening, I would just point to the nuance, the messiness, the daunting nature of so many of the things that we're trying to do as creators. When you want to make what matters, there's not that one magic solution, that one secret to success, the seven simple steps you can take. That doesn't exist. Instead, it all happens in the messy minutia. And today, we're diving into that stuff. And I found, and I think you'll find, some incredible insight and profoundly moving moments too. Things that have inspired me to go and create what I felt was better work. So stick around for that. I think you'll leave this one particularly inspired. I want to know how to do the things to do. A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you. Hey, welcome to Three Clips, where podcasters take us inside their best work. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I believe that creativity is all about the tiny techniques, the micro moments, and all these refreshing wrinkles that typically are hidden from view. So on this show, we wanted our favorite podcasters to bring out those little things and talk about them, because we don't normally get to. So every episode, we ask somebody that we admire to break down something they made a few little pieces at a time. Today, we talk to Juleka Lantigua-Williams, host and producer of the show, How to Talk to Mommy and Poppy About Anything. She's also the founder and CEO of Lantigua-Williams and Company, an award-winning podcast and video production firm. And in this episode, she reveals some of the small stuff that made a big difference for her work. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Wistia. What gets you so excited that you start talking too loud? A few things that do that to me, uh, quoting 90s comedies. Yeah, like say if we're debating if shampoo is better or conditioner is better. If you know, you know. Also, I get way too excited about how to make a great marinara sauce. By the way, when it comes to basil and oregano, a palmful or two or three, that's the correct unit of measurement. And of course entrepreneurship, creativity, building brands, and telling stories. Those things get me talking too loud. And that's why I have a lot in common with Chris Savage. Chris is the CEO of Wistia, our presenting sponsor. And he's also the host of a great podcast called Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. That's where he talks way too loud about and to people who are focused on building more human brands. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and check out more of Wistia's original series, which are quirky and fun, refreshing and insightful, and all focused on building modern brands. You can find Chris's podcast and all their original series at wistia.com slash series. That's wistia.com slash series. And now let's meet today's guest. Given your body of work, I was like, where do I even begin And so I think I want to begin here, which is of all the shows you've worked on and been a part of, which are many, what was the most challenging show that you've ever been a part of? Define challenging. (laughs) I'll I'll let you do that. (laughs) Um, That is such a good question. Okay. So in terms of endurance, I think it's definitely been 70 million. That show takes 
on average five months per episode. Oh my <laughs> and god! Can you just share the premise of that show for people who haven't heard it? Yes. So 70 Million is a documentary narrative style podcast that interrogates criminal justice reform from a really local level, looking at what the local jail does to local communities and then expanding outward from there. And so the theme, obviously, there's uh, I'm sure it's rewarding to work on a show like that. And you believe in the premise. What's challenging about the the production of it? I mean, five months. That's exactly the stamina. Right. So overall, you know, sort of like from the first meeting with the team to when we published the last episode, it's a year of work. Right. And it's a year of work where you're working on 10 episodes at the same time. You know, like there's no, oh, one is off, you know, to be published. And now we move on to the next one. No, we're working on 10 episodes at the same time the entire year. And it's incredible to watch, what do we have, 25 people on that team at the height of production be continuously committed. I mean, that's the thing that is just jaw-dropping and inspiring, that we start at meeting one and we're at meeting 37 and people are still excited and people are still like, I'm going to find another source. And people are like, let me just go and see if this FOIA came through. It's just absolutely inspiring. And so that's why you do it. I mean, we're three seasons in 30 episodes. We've got a Peabody nomination under our belt and it's just incredible. I tweeted the other day that I was like, have you guys met my team? All MVPs, the whole squad. Yeah. Like all of them. All right, this is your friendly neighborhood voiceover man talking again. This is voiceover Jay, I suppose. Uh, now that you've heard from our guest, I want to go into the show. But before we do, let's just get some facts about the show. First, a bit about the host. Juleka got her start as an investigative journalist and wrote about criminal justice for The Atlantic. She also spent time as a senior producer for the very popular and very important podcast, Code Switch. As the founder and CEO of the production firm, Lentigua Williams and Company, Juleka and her team focus their stories on the margins. The company's network includes Latina to Latina and the Peabody-nominated show 70 Million, among others. And you've heard her talk a little bit about 70 Million so far in this episode. Juleka's company and team also works on, produces, and sound designs shows like Key Conversations with the Phi Beta Kappa Society, Indelible with Ball State University, Uh, Marvel's Voices, where they've done some sound design for the upcoming season of Marvel's franchise podcast, and a lot more. Today, as I've mentioned, we're going to talk about the show that Juleka herself hosts, How to Talk to Mommy and Poppy About Anything. So let's get some facts about that particular show really quickly. This show is aimed at adult children of immigrant parents and addresses how to discuss challenging or even taboo topics with those parents. It's not a podcast for any client. Instead, it belongs to Lentigua Williams and company and their network of shows that they themselves have built and run in-house. And this show follows a very familiar format each episode. The first part of the episodes are hearing from somebody who is an adult child of immigrant parents, a little testimonial, as Juleka refers to it in our episode today. And then Juleka interviews an expert who can comment on what they heard from that first individual and help them overcome some kind of communication challenge. Each episode is around the 20-minute mark, and the show first launched in May of 2020. And remarkably, which you'll hear a little bit more about in a bit, this is a show that went from conception to launch in just three weeks. Okay, so now it's time to go inside the making of how to talk to mommy and poppy about anything. Every episode, we use the same format. First, we're going to have three clips across three different segments. Each of these clips helps us understand something different about the show development process. First, we'll explore premise development, how to say something that actually matters. What's the show about? Second, we'll explore the experience. How is the show actually produced and formatted? And third, we'll talk about the connection being forged with all these hidden creative choices between the audience and the host and the show. Then in a fourth segment, we'll leave the clips behind and talk about reinvention, We'll look ahead at how Juleka and her team plans to avoid stagnation and keep resonating deeply with her audience. 
And a reminder to stick around past the closing credits after those four sections for a bonus fifth and final section that we call Play It Forward. Every episode, we ask our guests to suggest a podcast that you won't find at the top of the charts that they think others should know about. All right, let's explore that first crucial element in developing great shows, the premise. So when you make a show, the point isn't to just make some stuff. The point is to make something that matters. Uh, And that means first, the thing you have to develop before you develop the audio itself is develop the premise, the ideas going into the show. So I want to play a clip from the show we're profiling from you today, which is the show you've created and now also host, How to Talk to Mommy and Poppy About Anything. And I do want to have this, we'll play, this is a short clip, but I think it's a tiny bit that says a whole lot. And listener, I have not, I have not been allowed to know what this clip is going to be. Let's think it like a producer right there, by the way. Raise the stakes heading into the clip, little cliffhanger, and roll sound effect. Welcome to the first episode of How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything. I'm the creator and host, Juleka Lantigua Williams. I made the show because many of my friends and I, who were born or raised in the U.S., could use some help in communicating with our immigrant parents. We're sometimes torn between the way we choose to live our Americanized lives and the loyalty we feel to our parents' ways. Every week, I'll talk to adult children of immigrant parents facing a heavy situation from which the rest of us might learn something. I'll also talk to an expert with relevant experience who can help us understand and move through the situation. We'll start with my friend, who we're calling Sandra Morales, to ensure her privacy. Her mom made a life-threatening decision as COVID-19 escalated in New York City. Let's get into it. So just just a really casual question here for you, Jaleika. When you hear your own voice, it's the first episode of the show, so now you're you're further along. When you hear it from the first episode, what are you thinking about your performance, your scripting choices, the premise of your show? What's going through your mind when you hear that? I'm thinking, who else can do this? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. As in, like, I want to give this to somebody else, please? Yes. <laughs> like, who else would do this and be awesome and not cringe? <laughs> Wait, why are you cringing? Um, I really like being behind the scenes. I have always been behind the scenes. Or I have been a silent, you know, byline for most of my career and I'm very comfortable with that. But what so so the the backstory to this is that I came up with the idea for the show and we premiered it in 3 weeks. And this was also I know you're shaking your head because it's crazy, but this is part of my um what my friend calls my high tolerance for risk. Um, She's in corporate America. So she's like, you just have such a high tolerance for risk. And I said, yeah, I think that's what my mom calls my impulsivity. But okay, I I like what you just said. Her sounds much more officially official. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like a skill that I could put on a resume, right? (laughs) Um, Not like something I should be in therapy for. It's, you know, perspective. But anyways, I just, I think a couple of things happened there. One, I trusted my gut. I think I trusted that I knew my audience well. I trusted that I could build from the premise that the show really called for. I trusted that there would be endless, endless conversations (laughs) and situations to draw from. So I trusted that implicitly. And then I also said, and if it fails, I'll know in four episodes. Right. Interesting. And so that was the other that was the other part of it that I said, I will know in four episodes if this is not going to succeed and then we'll stop producing it because it's just me. It's just me and my wonderful uh, producer, Micaela. And I was like, the the risk is very low if it's just me, you know, and it could just be an experiment in audience development. Right. Like I'm still going to get something from this. And absolutely to my utter surprise the show is doing really well yeah you know and the the emails and the tweets that we get about it are really reflecting back our intent and so that's how that's you know like that's the proof that we need that when people talk about your show they talk about your show how you talk about your show 
when you uh, we're going to get into the audience reaction in a little bit but I, I listened to the trailer as well and i remember you saying something like the last thing i thought i'd be doing was hosting a show and, and you just told us you'd like to be behind the scenes what was it about the premise of this particular series where you were excited to step into that host role like why does this premise matter to you it matters on, on many on many levels. One, I am I am an immigrant, but I'm also what's called a half generation. I came when I was ten to the U.S., so I was essentially Americanized, and so I am a hyphenated American who is now raising American biracial, bicultural children. So I knew that just from my lived experience, I was going to be able to have really meaningful conversations with people because I am going through this all the time. You know, and now that we're about 30 episodes in, you hear me all the time saying to people, oh, my God, I resonate with that so much. Or, oh, my God, the same thing happened in my family. And, oh, my God, I wish I'd had this insight when I dealt with this five years ago. And so I I knew that I could be a good guinea pig because, again, this is an experiment, right? I am taking something directly to the market. We did not have a pilot in-house that we workshopped. We did not. I didn't even have a deck for this thing. Like my social media editor is the one who did the logo and we did it on like a Google document at first. And then she like made it really pretty. It, it was such an experiment because I wanted to see if the premise could come across well, right? And I think it did. And so I'm very happy for for the results. I want to ask about, you mentioned the logo that was done. I do have a question raised by the, the, the cover art in a second, but let, let's set that aside for a little bit. For those listening in the business, that's called an open loop or a teaser. We'll be back to that in just a second. <laughs> I need to go see more people in the world. I'm, I'm I bored. feel like I'm being experimented on. Anyways, this is the most meta show you'll ever appear on. We're podcasters talking to podcasters about podcasting, about podcasting. to other podcasters, right? So this will be the weirdest appearance you ever have publicly. Hopefully the most cathartic in some ways. Um, so we will come back to the cover art because there's a burning question I had based on that while we're talking premise development. You hinted at something that I'm not overly familiar with, and I think a lot of people listening are not either, which is creating a pilot to then workshop it. What What yeah. is that process? What do you mean by that? So it means you. we do this for clients. Um, we really don't do it for our shows because, again, you know that Juleka has a high tolerance for risk. Um, <laughs> it's a skill. It's a skill. We're keeping it in the right, skill category. Right, it's a skill. Right. Yes. So for clients, yeah. we will sometimes develop because they will come to us and say we just want a podcast about this right it's super open-ended and so we say okay let's sort of like drill down what is it, what are the components that you like in podcasts what are the things that you don't like in podcasts who needs to really shine in this or what needs to really shine in this or what needs to be consistent and present and so we help them to figure out format and we help to figure out the editorial scope and so we will often do a pilot maybe 10 minutes 8 minutes 12 minutes that is you know a small representation of what a show could be mm. and then we go back and forth and we say, okay, yeah, this, this seems great. This, this seems like it could be sustainable. That thing that we, it sounded really good in theory, but it actually doesn't sing in the episode. And so we will do that a couple of months before launch and then finalize the format, finalize the premise, finalize how we want to um, transition into and out of things in the episode, et cetera, et cetera. And then we'll go to production on the full slate of shows. Right. And so it just helps to do that because especially if a client doesn't have an audio identity, a sound identity, it's a big risk for them, you know? And so you want them to come out of the gate really reassured that the full investment that they're making in those 15, 20 episodes really is going to represent the intent that they had in creating a podcast to add to their repertoire. Are you workshopping it with your client and your team alone giving feedback or are any listeners brought in? Select listeners. So I will ask my friends in the industry, right? Um, because I want to be able to have the meta conversations with them and say, okay, so here's what we were going for. Did you get that? 
But no, we don't, we won't take it out to the general market. The client will often have their own version of a focus group, either with their own staff or with key stakeholders that are important to them. And they'll listen to that. So we did that really successfully with Phi Beta Kappa and they're one of my beloved clients because they were our first big institutional client, you know, three and a half years ago. And they came to us and said, we want a podcast, help us. And then they trusted us and we piloted uh, a concept for them and they loved it and we tweaked it. And now the show basically runs itself mm. because <laughs> everybody has a role. Everybody knows what they're doing. And we just keep putting out amazing um, conversations. I mean, the one time, okay, so the one time, dear listener, that I almost left podcasting, I was this close, was when we interviewed the head of the design team at NASA who's designing spacesuits. And literally, she's in the studio. And at the end of the conversation, I said to her, can I just come work for you? <laughs> <laughs> So if you weren't designing shows, you'd be designing spacesuits, is what I'm hearing. For, absolutely. <laughs> if she's had listen, if she has said yes, it, we would be having a very different conversation. We wouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let, let's 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 circle back to the cover art because this, this is how my mind thinks. I think of the idea having this like there, it's like you're developing the IP of the show, and there's all these things that it can do for you away from the show. Like when a premise is great, it can become the newsletter, the blog mm-hmm. series, the event series. And I notice on the cover art, mommy and poppy are in brackets. Now, I don't know if this is intentional, but I'm like, oh, there could be some spinoffs here. How to talk to insert anything here. Is that, is that what you think it means? Is, I, I, think, I think this thing has legs. <laughs> I think this thing is proprietary. I think this, I think this is what the world needs, Jaleka. How to talk to people you just keep ramming your head against about anything. So that was obviously intentional. And yes, uh, as you just said, I do think about IP extensions for everything that we make. And I don't launch things typically that I don't believe have a minimum of five viable IP extensions, right? Like that's just like a rule for me. Right. And so that goes for everything that that we make, including our client shows, Mm. because obviously I want our clients to also be able to grow this new entity, part of their identity with the brackets in Mommy and Papi. They are also supposed to be a placeholder for anything other people call their parents. Right. So if you are sub-Saharan Africa, it might be Baba for for Papi. Right. If you speak French, it might be mama for mommy. Right. And so I wanted to be able to bring to the show people of all kinds of stripes. Right. And so that's why the brackets were there. And the reason that I'm using mommy and papi, because that's what we call my parents. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was like, well, I'm in the show. So that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I love that this idea is, I mean, it's something that people aren't thinking enough about when they develop their premises is, is that those IP extensions, are you literally like gut checking it with yourself and your team? Like, could this be a book? Okay. Yes. Could this be this other thing? Okay. Yes. Oh, here's a new idea based on this one specific premise that we haven't tried before. Are you literally like, I'm going to go through this? Yeah, no, I literally, so I have um, what I call a knowledge catcher and um, it's just a big book it takes me about two years to fill one because they're really big so every two years i switch out my knowledge catcher and when i have an idea for a show um and typically the idea and the title come to me together like fully formed and i know that that's the thing that creators say all the time but this actually happens so i will go and i'll write it at the top of the page right and then i will do a bunch of bullet points immediately of all of the ways in which I myself and then other people around me could iterate from that idea. And then I just write that all that down. And then so that sits that sits there sort of like as an archive of here's the intention for this idea. And then we go and make the first, you know, embodiment of that idea, which is for us a podcast. Awesome. 
So How to Talk to Mommy and Poppy About Anything has a great premise, but I think a great premise is just a great start. We're talking about your knowledge catcher and notebooking, and these are all important steps to be sure. And it's sort of like picking up the groceries. You still got to go cook, right? Like why you can't really celebrate too much. You got good, good ingredients matter. Don't get me wrong. Got to go put the dish together. So let's roll this second clip because we're going to now move from the premise to the format. This comes right around like 320 in the episode. We're going to hear Sandra, who is a it's a placeholder name to protect their identity, as you said, in the top. And you're sort of sharing her story or she's sharing her story with you. So up until now, this is the only voice that we've heard since the introduction. So let's play that clip. I'm, I'm a very generous person. I, and I would love to be generous with my mother, with my time, right? Because I, anything she wants, I, if I can give it to her, I will. But it's just, it's like you're selling your soul to the devil whenever you agree to do something. Right. Let's pause here for a sec. I think I know what some of you are thinking. I was thinking it too. Sandra could just say no to her mom, right? She has that option. But that's not quite how she sees it. Yeah, but then, but then my, my Latina uh, card would be revoked if I did that. You know, what Latina daughter is going to be able to claim being her Latinidad if all of a sudden that, that, that card is gone? It's like, no, I'm the daughter. You know, you got to suck it up, girl. Otherwise, you're going to be you're going to lose that part of your cultural currency. Um, and I'm not willing to do that. I'm sorry. I was stunned the first time I heard the full version of this story from Sandra. I couldn't get it out of my mind for days. I asked Sandra to share it on the show because I heard echoes of situations I and so many of us hyphenated Americans face. I also invited a licensed marriage and family therapist to help us make sense of it. My name is Evelyn Hernandez Brown. I'm a licensed. I love I love the stitching together, and and I saw you smiling and nodding and shaking your head a little bit at what your your guest there was was saying to you. What were you thinking? Well, so she's she's a really, really good friend of mine. And what I was thinking when I was talking to her was, why do you keep doing this? Right? Because now I know you. This is a pattern. Why do you keep doing this? And I asked her, and then she gives that incredible explanation, right? Like, the stakes are really high for me. And... That, to me, was such a revealing moment about the potential for the show, right? Because I thought, here's my bar, my guest bar for the rest of this show. I have to be able, as an interviewer, to bring my guests to the point of revelation where we learn something about why the things that we put up with really matter to us and why we're willing to make such psychic, emotional, and spiritual sacrifices for them, right? And so in a way, during that first episode, the show really revealed itself to me. So it was so much easier to then go out and say, well, here's the bar. So let's just aim for this bar every single time. We don't make it with every single episode, but I'm really happy to say that probably, you know, we're batting 300 at least. When you, first of all, 300 for a career, you're a Hall of Famer, so keep it up. Uh, Duh. Right? It's all you need. <laughs> Secondly, uh, when you are interviewing a friend and you do have to have them touch on things that are sensitive and personal or, or, or help them arrive to some sort of revelation. I mean, these are deeply trust and comfort driven things. I need to be in a space with somebody where I trust them, where I feel comfortable to then get uncomfortable. How are you doing that with someone that you haven't spent significant time with away from the show? And to be clear, that is 99.9% of the people that I talk sure. to. Sure. <laughs> yeah, for all of us, for sure. 
And so pre-production helps in that sense. Okay. I don't talk to people before we do our interview, but I have an amazing producer, Virginia Laura, who finds a lot of the folks. I also recommend people because people reach out to me. They say they want to come on the show, et cetera. But she um, communicates with them so that then together they define specifically what we're going to be talking about. And then she will do a prep for me with five to 10 questions based on that conversation or those emails that she's had with the guests. And so I use those as parameters, mm -hmm. but what you don't hear in, in the first half of the show is that I share a lot with them about myself as I'm talking to them, as I'm interviewing them. And so the intimacy builds before we get on the air and you also don't hear the intimacy building because I, I chose to not be present when we call it the testimonial which I chose not to be present during the testimonial because I really wanted the listener to hear themselves you right. know and so you don't need an interlocutor just to hear yourself right. and so I thought this should just be the testimonial the other thing that happens is I ask for permission throughout the interview, right? So I say things like, all right, I'm going to ask you about this, right? But you let me know. And almost always people will say, no, go ahead, ask me, it's fine. And if I hear them pause, if I hear them like take a deep breath, if I hear them start to cry, I stop and I say, we don't have to continue. We don't have to do the interview. You don't have to do the episode. I understand. So I'm just going to wait until you tell me. And I just sit in silence for as long as it takes for them to decide what they want to do. What what an incredible uh, awareness that you have there and, and skill set, the ability to kind of, you know, maneuver with these emotions it, that those moments are becoming so fraught and you seem to have a plan for that. Was that a lot of trial and error to get there? Are you pulling from other experiences talking to tough guests or where, where did you get that skill set? Uh, it's. 20 years of interviewing people. <laughs> so, um, and it's also, I'm a mom of, you know, a nine and an 11 year old. And so there's a lot of emotional translation that has to happen in my daily life. And so that's part of it. But, you know, I've, I've had to talk to a lot of people whose family members are in jail. Um, I've talked to people whose family members were brutalized or murder. I've talked to, all kinds of people, um, people who've had their families deported. And so I've, I trained myself. Yeah, that's the best way to say it. I trained myself to not just listen deeply, but to also reflect back to people what is legitimate in the moment. It's legitimate for you to be anxious. It's legitimate for you to be fearful. It's legitimate for you to be nauseous. And I find that once you say to the person, I'm really nervous too, their shoulders come down, they relax. You get into another level of trust with them because they see you seeing them. And so I just try to do that. I mean, and then sometimes I break the fourth wall, right? Like sometimes I get out of character and we had an episode a couple of weeks ago where I interviewed someone uh, about the process of coming out uh, as gay to his family. And Virginia had done a great job as usual with the prep and I had wonderful questions. I was so excited because it was the first time we were going to talk about something that's really important, like, you know, coming out on the show, um, which is, you know, still very taboo among many immigrant communities. And so I was like, yes, this is going to be great. And sure enough, the person is lovely, great storyteller, you know, really has had time to reflect and really create context around his life experiences. I mean, a wonderful, wonderful interviewee. And then he reveals that he was sexually assaulted by two young men. And that was his first sexual experience. And that he went home immediately after. And his brother looked at him and said, you just had sex. And he said, I did. And they never talked about it. Wow. Ever. Right? So I'm crying. Right? Yeah. I'm swallowing hard. And I said to him, 
We don't have to continue the interview. Just let me know what you want to do. I will wait until you're ready. Because one, I needed to stop crying. Sure. But two, I needed to hand over all of my power as the interviewer back to him. And that was so clear to me. And I'm, you know, now that I've done a lot of interviews, not just in this format, but throughout, I understand that it is imperative that you manage the power dynamic in an interview. Absolutely. And so I know when I have to just relinquish my power entirely. They've been interviews where I've, I've said to Virginia, stop recording. I don't even want this on tape. Stop recording. I've asked her sometimes also to remove chunks and delete them. Like whatever way we can get rid of whatever that portion of a story was that the person doesn't want to share, just make it disappear. We don't want it to be in our archives anywhere. We don't want anyone in any format to be able to access that. Right. And so you have to manage that responsibility really, really well. You're at once thinking about, I need to sort of extract the right content and details. And I'm creating an experience, which is in some ways reductionist. If you really think about it, any individual, no matter how routine a moment they're talking about or profoundly life-changing and emotional they're talking about, to tell that story in an hour-long episode or less is in some ways to reduce it to that time frame. And so you're going to miss some things. So you do need sort of that, I got to extract these moments in this content. And creativity in in many ways is manipulative. I want to plant a certain emotion or image in your head. But when you come at it from that sense of, I'm trying to be protective of my guests, of my subjects, I'm trying to develop this trust and relationship. And I find that there's certain interviewers that are so good at, they create that environment of, of trust. And tone of voice and cadence has a big part to play in that. The thing we haven't touched on when it comes to your role is when you jump in as a narrator now, it's not in the moment. It's not you with the guest. So now you have this like space between you and that interview, however long it's Mm -hmm. been. And you Mm -hmm. have to somehow cut in, but still map to what they're doing. And I notice you have this really nice cadence. You, You do interrupt as a narrator, but you also have this nice cadence. So just talk to me about how you think about the right places to interrupt and the way to perform those moments of of voiceover. Well, thank you for noticing that. Um, (laughs) It's really weird to get complimented on my work. (laughs) So ah, give me a minute. Um, So I agree. Uh, Production is performative and it is definitely manipulative. So I think you have to have good intent because otherwise you're in trouble and people will see right through it more importantly, like bad intent is really transparent. So typically I know when I'm going to, and I don't always interrupt the testimonial. It's very, you know, maybe 20% of the time I interrupt the testimonial, but I always know the moment in the interview when that's going to happen because one of two things happen. One, the obvious question of, well, why don't you just say no to your mother? immediately comes to mind. And so I put myself in the place of the listener who's going to say to no one in the room, just say no to your mother, right? So I know that that is going to be necessary because otherwise the veracity of the storytelling is going to come into question, right? So I have to show my listener, listen, I know what you're thinking. We're all thinking it, okay? We're all thinking it. I'm just going to ask it and then we'll see what happens, right? So that that's one of the things that happens. And then um, the other thing that happens is that I say to myself, oh, I need to talk about X, Y, and Z in this particular point. And that's when I will interject a personal story. I've done it a few times where I want to say to the listener, I know that this is relatable to you, but I also want you to know that this is relatable to me and it's important to me. And this is why, because as I am making the show, now that I've committed to being the host, (laughs) 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 which it was touch and go for the first 10 episodes. (laughs) um, I also have to put my DNA into the show and I'm very aware of that. And so as much as I want to allow the testimonial and the expert to shine, I have to also continue 
to weave my DNA into the show so that the listener wants to spend time with me and so that the listener trusts me to bring these conversations to her. I think that is a perfect segue into the third clip, ironically, because the third clip is about creating this personal connection with your audience. And of course, you're doing that throughout the experience. It's not unique to any one moment. But we did find one clip that we think helps make this show feel personal. I I think a lot about the word favorite and how like favorite, it's an irrational bias and emotional choice. You can say to someone, well, oh, you're listening to that show in that category. Well, the number one ranked show is this different show. And they go, I I don't care. This one's my favorite. Um, My favorite sports team across any sport, the New York Knicks. One of the worst sports teams across any sport, (laughs) the New York Knicks. So um, yeah, favorite doesn't mean objectively good, although it's nice when the two go hand in hand. Uh, Favorite is a very personal decision. It's it's an identity-based decision. And uh, so I'd love to play this clip to explore how you and your show and your great producers create an experience that can feel personal to the listener. So in, in this third and final clip, it uh, comes around 1440, which is just over halfway through the the expert interview, the, the second mm-hmm. voice, the second guest voice we heard in our second clip. Um, and we hear you ask this question. I feel like when it comes to multi-generational sort of like first and second gen families Mm -hmm. in the U.S., a lot of this communication practice is really on the more Americanized people Mm -hmm. in the family, right? Mm -hmm. So just, I'm just going to... I'm just going to yeah. say that from like my experience, you're not in your head. So I'm going to say that <laughs> yeah. from my experience and my friend's experiences that a lot of us are the ones who are trying, not always successfully, but who are really trying to improve those channels of communication. So thinking yeah. about it foundationally from your vantage point, having worked with families, what are some of the do's and don'ts in our practice as, and we know that this is a process, right? This is an absolute yeah. process. These are things we have to repeat and repeat and repeat. But what are mm-hmm. some of those foundational do's and don'ts for us to try and establish new dynamics in how we communicate with our parents, our siblings, our extended mm-hmm. families? One, I encourage them just to go for it. Come from that place of self-compassion, self-love. Hold that. Sometimes also the best work is in the repair. I really have to work on that. My questions are too long. Well, I, as we were hearing that, you know, the listener won't <laughs> won't hear that little quip you you made during the clip. You were like the never ending question. What's going on? Why why was that your reaction? <laughs> because I feel like that's one of those moments where you know, like I'm so into the interview that I just want to know for myself. You know, <laughs> like, like I broke character there. I was supposed to be, you know, the host there. But I was just like, come on, give me the goods. Just tell me. Also, can you so, call Can you call my mommy to tell her? That? Can yes. you call my father? Can you call my cousin? By the way, I know this is not part of the show, but can you? Right. I know we're not here for me, but this just feels like I need it right now. <laughs> I loved it. I got to say, I know there's no one right way to do this. As I heard you start that question, you know, and I've done this enough times to know what it feels like when you start to say something and you're like, oh, I got to land this plane. Where's the question? Oh, God. And then you like come down and ask a terrible question just to like park it somewhere. I I see you've done this or experienced oh my it. So God. I didn't get that sense here, Juleka. I was like engrossed in that moment. Sure, because you and I obviously have the same crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I <laughs> I often apologize to Virginia like during the tape. I'm like, "I'm sorry. I know you're going to have to cut that. I'm so sorry." Okay, can you answer the question now because something happens, right? Because I've been listening And I really have been processing at the same time because I want the fealty of the show to to happen when I am talking to the person, right? Mm -hmm. Like I really want anything that I consider cosmetic, which is the intro and the credits, to feel cosmetic and to feel like, oh, this is the business side of the show. But I want the core 90% of the shows to really feel like 
oh my God, I am getting the distilled experience from that interview. And so I allow myself to do that because that's what people do when they talk. They start with an idea and then something pops into their head and then they add a clause and then they add an M dash and then there's a semicolon and holy cow, where is this going, right? And then they apologize in the middle and they say, I'm going to get to it, don't worry. And then they keep going. And I think that that's natural, right? I think that that's natural. Um, I also can be really blunt sometimes when I'm talking to different guests. You know, like I will say to someone, yeah, but what does that actually mean, right? But I I say, I, I, I will cut people off sometimes and gently, but I will definitely say, okay, but how is that usable, right? Or what does that have to do with real life? Or, you know, that sounds really theoretical. How does that work in practice? And so I try to balance that out, you know, within interviews and from show to shows, because that is how people communicate. All right, so it's time to mix things up a little bit. This section does not have a clip, but I do think it's a big challenge we face in trying to create anyone's favorite show or a great experience we're proud of, which is reinvention. So I think if you Wait, do... Wait, did you just admit that this is your favorite show? Did we just get that on tape? I can't in good conscience admit <laughs> publicly that your show has been the favorite. There's, there's a video component you're not seeing. My eye is doing this thing. Anyway. You got that on tape. I want that. <laughs> Cut it, ship it. Testimonial. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so we've talked about my favorite show's premise. We've talked about my favorite show's experience. Now it's time to talk about... And oh, we've also talked about how my favorite show became my favorite show and how you connected with me so deeply, Juleka. Uh <laughs> I want to talk about reinvention because I do feel like no matter how great you are, A, you never feel like you're totally getting the A plus ever. There's not a correct answer on any of this stuff. No 100% there. And then B, even if you feel really good about what you just shipped... Time has this way of causing things to grow stale. If you just do it over and over again, or you even look back on something, you're like, oh, wow, I would do it differently. So I'm wondering, is there one thing, I'm sure there's a lot, but is there one you can kind of pick up on from the stuff you've heard today or reflecting back on the early episodes of this show that you'd like to use to improve this show or other projects you're working on? How are you going to reinvent over time? So overall, I think the show has grown really well and it's maturing really well. I think that if we're going to iterate on another platform, let's say video or, or if we're going to iterate and do it with a different category of people in the brackets, I think pre-interviewing people is going to be really key huh. because people are not trained to speak in complete answers. And so a lot of what happens is Virginia and I saying, okay, but now can you say that and start the answer this way? <laughs> or you kind of stumbled along that. Can you say it again? You know? And so I think just a, a 10 minute conversation with everybody would be really helpful. We don't really have the luxury of doing that because we don't have a lot of time, but I feel like when we have more resources, it would be really good to have people have the experience of being formally interviewed if they've never been formally interviewed right. so that then they come in having had a little practice, like a dress rehearsal. And then also for people who tend to be long-winded, this is a great opportunity to say to them, you know, I really need your answers to be under a minute, under 30 seconds, whenever possible, because we have to edit the tape because that is just the reality of it. And so I feel like it's fine for you to peer sort of like behind the curtain for your your guests and say, this is how the sausage gets made. And so you are a big part of this. So I, I will need you to just do certain things, right? Because, you know, when you have to coach in the moment, it really breaks up the flow of the conversation. So probably doing some pre-interviews would be really good. I would love to be able to, like, have really good pictures of our guests. I think that that would be such a killer addition to have an actual picture of every guest on there. But I can't start that because I can't guarantee that I'm going to get a good picture of every guest. And so I can't sort of like lessen the quality of the overall presentation because I want to add this emotional element. But, you know, hopefully one day we'll get to the point where I can send a photographer to their house to get a really nice portrait. 
that's the kind of stuff that I think about all the time. Like, how do I enrich this experience from sound and beyond? You know, I mean, I've had all kinds of ideas about voice memo diaries, right? Like following someone for a whole season while they go through something and they, they capture themselves. And don't steal this idea, people who are listening, but like, <laughs> how cool would that be? Right. If like at the end of the season, like we've been listening to someone going through something and at the end of a season or in whatever period, five or six episodes, it culminates with like a conversation about how the experience was for them. You know, like we could do like, an online component to that and all kinds of things incredible but, incredible yeah. so Juleka, uh first of all this was incredible i enjoyed this i learned so much i know our listeners will too the uh, a lot of shows send swag or little cards to say thank you one of the things that we've started doing this year and we're probably going to no, continue I want vodka. oh we could send you vodka or uh, well, here's the, <laughs> i'll let you pick here's the thing i'll let you pick we could send you what vodka. is what is the swag i'm in a closet full of clothes all right i don't we need any more you vodka or <laughs> Ready for the mother of all guilt trips? We could do what we usually do, which is give a donation to No Kid Hungry, because so many people in this country right now are food insecure. Do you have a? I will double. The, I will double the donation. Do you have a preference? Oh, that's so nice of you. Oh my god, thank you. So we'll we'll give a donation in your honor, uh, and we'll also try to find a way to get you some vodka because you're in a closet right now. I think you could use it. Also, you've made my favorite <laughs> show. I don't know if I told you that. So Julega, thank you, the maker of my favorite show. Thank you for coming on Three Clubs. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I love doing this one, I gotta say. And I hope you loved it too. And every time you listen to this show, you're supporting an independent podcast built by independent creators. This episode in particular was produced by Cherie Turner. Original theme music by Cardboard Rocket Chip, an indie folk band out of New York City. Big thanks to our presenting sponsor, as always, Wistia. You can explore their tools for podcasters and video marketers at wistia.com or Watch their original series about building modern, creative, and more human-centric brands at wistia.com slash series. Lastly, you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Playing Favorites, to get one new idea or story every Friday morning about making things that matter. I'll also share a roundup of the best things that we've published and new episodes of this show right in that newsletter. You can subscribe using the links in your show notes or visit marketingshowrunners.com. And now that bonus segment I promised at the very top where each episode we ask a guest to share their podcast of choice, this hidden, sneaky, awesome show that is not at the top of the charts that they want to show some love to. We call this segment Play It Forward. Time Storm is the show that I want to shout out. Time Storm. Time Storm. It's called Time Storm. It's fictional and is a time traveling show where two Puerto Rican siblings travel back and forth to figure out what does it mean to be Puerto Rican? What does it mean to be on this little island in the middle of the ocean? What does it mean to have come from this mixed heritage? You know, like what does it mean? It's fantastic. The sound design is so rich. The dialogue is so good. It is just, it's a bomb. It's really a bomb for our times. That's great. Okay, that's it for this episode. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I believe this work you and I do is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So thanks for staying with me, and I'll talk to you every other Monday with a brand new episode of Three Clips. See ya.